Well, while people are getting resituated, um, <clears throat> oh me of little faith, I didn't. I don't think I printed enough handouts. So it is a packed house. Yeah, um, it's color, but it doesn't need to be necessarily. So if you could maybe start a few over here, Jisung, and just pass those around, and then maybe some here. I don't know that I did it evenly, so if you could watch on the back side. All right, so um, am, I, am I doing ding, Tim? Am I saying ding to advance the slide? Ding! Ding. Can I have that? I feel it's like a, it's like a pacifier for a baby. I feel a little, a little more comfortable. Awesome. All right, so... Today we are back in our Q&A, so remember three weeks out of the month we do, um, we do Book of Exodus, Victory in the Exodus. Today we're back in our Q&A. As a reminder, on the Whole Heart Sermons page, so you go to mbtkc.org, go to Sermons, and you go down to Whole Heart, to, well, there's a, a picture of no one from this class, but it says Whole Heart. Uh, I, think it's, I can't remember who it is, but they don't. They go to a different class. But th so don't, be, don't like, be looking for the person. Be looking for the name. And click on that, and that will always get you to the Zoom as long as we have that. It'll get you to the previous messages and recordings. It'll get you to um, the, the ability to submit a question. So today's question was submitted via that portal. Uh, I'm excited about it. It was a bit of a challenge, and it's going to be a little bit of a challenge to communicate. So I'm going to put a little bit of a disclaimer out here. I'm going to try to be very specific with my wording today because we're going to be delineating concepts that overlap greatly. Okay? I do ask for grace from you relative to those ter those ter that terminology and maybe the specificity that otherwise would seem unnecessary. Okay? I also welcome you to say, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Because we interchange terms so greatly, I may do so inadvertently and may cause confusion, and I don't want to do that, okay? Today we're going to be talking about, this was the question, what happens to the body, the spirit, and the soul when a person dies, and what will happen to each when Christ returns and the dead rise first, okay? <coughs> It's a little bit to unpack here, all right? So, and I'm just going to, I'm going to call it out now, and we'll just, the spirit and soul are really difficult concepts for us to get our finite brains around, okay? I will do my best to try to communicate that. Again, I ask Grace, and I ask, and I welcome you to, to ask for clarification. Yes? They are not the same thing, and we'll hopefully we'll get through that today. So, it's a great question, though. All right, so the first thing we need to do is define the body, the soul, and the spirit, right? We need to understand those three components. Now, we'll, at the next slide, next couple of slides, we'll actually go into detail. These slides are written, or are up here, rather, to show you that in Scripture... God calls them different things, and when God uses different words for different things, he means something different, okay? 
for, there are times when people overlap two concepts. The most common one actually is kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. That's a real key in studying and understanding scripture. They are not, in fact, the same thing because God and heaven are two different concepts, if you will. God's not a concept, but you know, they're, they're, they're two different things, okay? So body, soul, and spirit are in fact three different things. First of all, God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He uses us and our. He is a triune God. He's a trinity. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Much like Sam already addressed in church this morning, it's probably going to take me eternity to figure that out, even in his presence. But that's it. He, he, he is an us, and he is a him. Okay? Or he is, he's, he's multiple, and he's singular all at the same time. Plural and singular. Notice in Matthew 28, or, uh, or 18, uh, 10 28, Fear not them which kill the body. I'm just using this as an example. Kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him, which is able to destroy both the both soul and body in hell. It's an interesting concept that normally we don't think of bodies in hell. We think maybe of soul in hell. So we're not we're not diving into the study yet, but that's an interesting concept. First Thessalonians five, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And if you want. To, to, if you want to throw your pastor a curveball, ask him to quote 1 Thessalonians 5. Some of you know Sam has a, an inability to say the word holy. <laughs> I think everybody on the face of the earth knows that this word is holy. It's like holy. Holy. But Sam can't say it because he's from Arkansas or Southern Missouri. I don't remember it. So... And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray, God, notice, Paul is writing to Christians, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all three aspects Paul is praying for. Do we at least acknowledge that they're different at this point, right? Okay. All right. So these are some pictorial, just grabbed from the internet representations. And I think they all have merit and they all have um, weakness. This one on the upper left has the body on the outside, then the soul and the spirit on the inside, and they represent the soul by the mind, emotions, and will. I, I get it. I'm not sure the spirit is inside the soul, but I kind of understand. Like it's pictorial, it's okay. This was an interesting thing, and I think there's some truth in this. It's kind of new agey, but I think there's some truth in this, that the soul, or what we commonly think of as our soul, is some combination of our mind, our spirit, and our body. Which, again, I, this is not a doctrinal position, but I think it's impossible for us to think about the difference, which was the question between our soul and our spirit. Because they're so inextricably linked in ourselves, we've lived that way our entire life, it's hard to separate them. The other is a football. I don't know if anybody else has ever, has ever had the football illustration, and, and they have, this is a little bit different, but it, it works. It was a, you have your flesh on the outside, you have your soul on the inside, which would be like the bladder, and the spirit would be like the air that fills the bladder, 
right? So those are three different concepts. The football is does not seal where the laces are. So you couldn't just put air in the pig's skin. It would escape, right? So you have this modern footballs or a plastic bladder, right? But the air, but you could have a flat football with no air in it, right? Or very little air in it, right? So these are, I'm sorry? Yeah. So these are, are just kind of some concepts to help us wrap our brain around it. Okay? So the body. This is the easiest one. We're only going to spend a moment on it. Physical body, flesh, our senses, which is your first fill in the blank. I've underlined some words in scripture. Those aren't fill in the blank, but the others are. So the physical body, this is our flesh, our senses. <clears throat> now senses are your five senses, not the ability to sense something, if you will, right? I think that's going to go over into another characteristic in a minute, okay? But our body, our flesh, the ability to smell, to see, to hear, flesh, pretty straightforward, right? Leviticus 17.11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So the body has life, okay? The body has life. All right, the soul We've covered this before, and I think it was in our study of 1 Timothy, um, but cognition, or the ability to think, to reason, to do, to do math. I know that 11 minus 6 is 5 because I can do math. Math, or cognition, comes from, our, I believe, from our mind, which is a part of our soul. Are we okay on handouts? Okay, cool. We also, in our soul, have emotion, right? That's where a lot of people put the spirit, and, you, and I'm not dogmatic on this one, but I don't believe emotion is spirit. I believe emotion is part of our soul, okay? But again, I'm not, we're not going to thumb wrestle on that one. The intellect, the ability to, to reason, and even your will. Will is another aspect that some would argue is part of your soul. Some would argue is part of your spirit. Okay? I generally put these in this category because it's the mind, the, the, the person that we think we are. <coughs> Excuse me. So some of you are going to run, I don't know, maybe one of you are going to run in the 5K. <laughs> Some of us will walk the 5K. Now, it's interesting because I'm just going to stay on, 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 on body and soul for just a second. You can determine in your mind that you're going to start working out and you're going to tell your body what to do. Okay? Makes sense. And you're going to start running. I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to start running. Partway through that running... As you, as you start, your mind actually shuts off and your body is actually taking over. I don't know if that makes sense, but you don't think about every muscle, every foot placement. Now, you're going to do it more if you go run on a, a trail, right? You're going to be watching and you're going to be watching your feet. But there's a point at which I'm pretty sure some of you talked to somebody on the way into class today and you were walking and some of you are even chewing gum at the exact same time. <laughs> that is some combination of your soul engaging in a conversation and your body doing what it does in walking and chewing gum. 
I know these are a little bit trite examples, but there are times when your flesh takes over your will, even. There's times when your flesh overcomes your mind. So the, most, the most common biblical example of that was the disciples unable to watch and pray. They got weary in their flesh and they had to sleep. There are times where our flesh overcomes and we're just completely exhausted or we're completely uh, so hungry that we kind of can't walk, talk, and chew gum and, and right? We, like, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I just just have gotten so hungry. It's like, I got to have a cracker or something. Like, I can't even think straight until I grab a little something to eat. Is that making sense or is that just me? Okay. Oh. All right. So notice... Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Okay? He didn't become a living spirit. He became a living soul. Alright. So this is the part now to delineate between soul and spirit that gets a little more difficult. I saw this definition and it's kind of the best one I can come up with. The spirit of a human, not the Holy Spirit, the spirit of a human, is the active principle of life that connects with or can't connect with God. Okay? Some would argue that this is your intuition because that's not necessarily a, 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 a calculation. You know, I was talking with somebody and I can't remember the story. I don't remember if it was somebody in this room where they had a situation where it just didn't feel right and they got out of that situation and like somebody died or something. I, I apologize, I, can't, I just can't remember the story. But sometimes in our lives, we have those situations where there's just an unexplained, uncalculable situation. I guess you can call it a feeling, although I'm not sure it's an emotion, that is spirit-driven, okay? Um, Sometimes that spirit can connect with God. Sometimes it can't. If you're not saved, it can't connect with God. It could hear from God, but it can't truly connect. More on that. Intuition or spiritual discernment. Sometimes somebody will walk into a situation and they'll know very little about it and they'll say in counseling or something, they'll say, well, you need to do this, and it's absolutely the right thing. Well, sometimes that is just spiritual discernment that has nothing to do with the soul, with the mind. It's not able to be calculated out. It's unexplained, if you will, and that's a spiritual realm. So you can see why sometimes it's hard because the spirit is not clearly defined. It's hard to label, just like the air in the football excuse me, is there, it gives it form and function. If the air is not there, it doesn't work, but you can't really see it. Like, even if you can see into the football, you can't really see the air, right? And that's why it's likened, the Holy Spirit is likened to win. Notice in Job 32, verse 8, there is a spirit in man. So this is not the Holy Spirit. There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding, the spirit in man. So God can come upon and can influence the spirit of man. In Proverbs 18.11, the spirit of man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. So there are times when our spirit 
Now this gets amazingly close to emotion, amazingly close to the mind, but there are times when people, it isn't emotional, but their spirit is downtrodden. And you can't fix it with calculus. You can't fix it with just feel better. I would liken this comparison to the difference between joy and happiness. Biblical joy allows a person that is physically being tortured to still have joy and rejoice in their relationship with the Lord. That is not emotion. That is spiritual, right? That's not cope, that's not some coping mechanism that the brain does to get through the torture. No, that is the ability to connect with God when otherwise the situation would, would seem like you shouldn't. Okay? The spirit of the man, this, this is great in Proverbs 20. <coughs> Excuse me. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, which I think is really cool. It's not the, it's not the flame, it's the candle that can be lit, okay, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Okay? And you can see how even, and, and Lord forgive me for the terminology here, but even man has trouble capturing and writing a spiritual concept in words that can be understood with the cognitive mind. It's not just the inward parts of the belly, but you know what he means. Like you know it's the inward part of who we are, right? For what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man... So there's a separation between man's spirit and God's spirit, but the spirit of God. So there's a need that the natural man has. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So, are we at least pretty good on the difference here? I know it's, I know it's, a, little, it's a little nuanced. Now, I'm, I, don't even, I don't know if I included this on your notes, but there's seven dispensations... I am a dispensationalist, and some people argue that that's a bad word in theology. What that simply means is I believe that while God is consistent over time, he, deal, he dealt with Adam and Eve differently than he dealt with, let's say, Noah, differently than he dealt with Abraham, differently than he dealt with the, um, the, the priests and Levites in the Old Testament, uh, different than he deals with us today. He's consistent, but he deals with people differently. I don't. This may this may sound hard. This may you may think I'm a bad parent, but I treat my kids differently today than when they were two. <gasps> right now, it sounds trite, but at that phase of their life, I had to dispense information. I had to dispense responsibility. I had to dispense discipline in a different way than I do now. <clears throat> like, it would be unreasonable to have dealt with the, a two-year-old like I deal with a 17-year-old. You cannot drive. You can't go to work. You can't take the car. You can't go hang out with your friends. Like, sim similarly to my 17-year-old, go sit in the corner and time out and be like, okay. And then I'll pull out his phone. And like, I mean, it's just not the same. Except maybe a good whipping. But that's different. 
Now, I'm not implying that people have gotten smarter or have matured. It's simply an illustration that God dispenses responsibility to people differently at different points in time of history. These are the general, there's different ways to, to call them, but in this sense, Adam and Eve, <coughs> you know, don't eat. And this is like not doctrinal, this is kind of like a summary, right? Don't eat of the tree, they've got knowledge of good and evil. But they did. So there's consequence to it, right? Conscience, the age of conscience, do good and sacrifice. But they don't, they do bad, and there's consequence, right? Human government, scatter and multiply over all the world, but now they stayed together. And they stayed together in Tower of Babel, so we had to deal with it. Some people call it the dispensation of promise, or others call it the patriarchs, to dwell in the land. To dwell in the land, but they didn't always do that. Then there was the law, the, the dispensation of the law, the Old Testament law. And they you know, had responsibility of obeying law and didn't do it. So then comes the age of grace, or the church age, have faith in Christ's sacrifice, and obviously not everyone does. And then the seventh dispensation, or age, is the kingdom, or millennium, and that will be an obey and worship uh, responsibility, and not all will do it. Okay, So we call ourselves, or I would say most of the pastors here would call ourselves dispensationalists because certain promises and, and commitments and expectations here don't apply here, which don't apply here. Okay, And that's where people get messed up in their doctrine a lot of times is they try to take a promise or an expectation or a responsibility from one area and apply it to another. And then you get inconsistencies and apparent contradictions. Okay, So it's important to know that different ages, different times have different responsibilities. I knew that was going to happen. Somehow there was a, a, a spacing. That's supposed to be over here. So all of these are considered your Old Testament. This would be the church age, would be your New Testament age. And obviously this could be argued as also New Testament, but it is within the kingdom. Okay? Had to lay that out. So what happens to the Old Testament saints? And this wasn't the scope of the question. The scope of the question was the New Testament saints, but I think it's important for us to see because like a lot of things in the Old Testament, God is consistent and he set an amazing pattern for us. Genesis 35:29. Isaac, this is just one of many examples of where did their body go? Well, to the ground. Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Wait a second. He was gathered unto his people after he died. That meant his people was somewhere, bad English, but his people were somewhere, and he was gathered to them. Scripture, I think, is pretty clear that angels literally would have taken his soul and delivered it his people, but he was buried in the ground. Okay, that's the key. He was buried. They buried his body. So in Ecclesiastes three twenty, all go unto one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Okay, right from ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So where did Old Testament saints' souls go? Well, Scripture is pretty clear that they went to a place called Abraham's bosom. Now, it applies even to those before Abraham. <clears throat> so, another word for bosom here is, believe it or not, like 
creek or like almost the concept of a meadow or something, right? It's a place of, of peaceful gathering, okay? Um, so same verse, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people. Where? In Abraham's bosom, okay? Luke 16.22, and there's a broader passage that we'll look at in just a second there, but in Luke 16.22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Okay? So literally was carried by angels. Now, it is important to note that that in Luke 16 is not a parable. Jesus doesn't preface it by saying, hear a parable about this. So the story of the prodigal son, I hate to tell you, is a parable in the sense that it didn't actually happen. Like we always think of the, the story of the prodigal son as a, an actual person. And maybe something similar happened, but it is in fact a parable. But this is not a parable. Jesus is giving a glimpse into hell, okay, and Abraham's bosom. So this is a few more additional verse. The beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. That's what we saw. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Okay? So, <clears throat> we know that there's this place in the center of the earth that was protected, Abraham's bosom that was protected from the torments uh, otherwise around. Notice in Job 3, in Job uh, 3.13, Tim, I don't know that it matters, but the zoom went off. Just make sure the recording is still going. Um, in Job 3.13, for now I should, uh, for now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then I had been at rest. So Job is literally saying, kind of wish I was dead because of all the stuff happening to him. But notice in verse 18, there, after his death, there the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. There isn't a challenge against them anymore. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Even though the servant and the master are both in Abraham's bosom, they don't have that servant-master relationship anymore. They're all just there together. And then again in Luke 23, when Jesus is on the cross, and he's getting ready to, 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 to redeem, he would have died before the two uh, thieves, right? The one of them says, Lord, uh, said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He's not talking about heaven, although a lot of times we talk to, our, to kids like that's heaven. But it's actually referring to Abraham's bosom. So up until the point that Jesus ascends to heaven, resurrects and ascends to heaven, it's an Old Testament um, um, kind of paradigm, okay? So we, so we know just a little more on Abraham's bosom. So where did their spirit go in the Old Testament? And I would argue their spirit was tied to their soul, okay? And I use the word tied, CM uses the concept of a rubber band, and I actually tried, thinking about how to try to pictorially, practically show this, but when the Old Testament saint dies, their body goes... Uh, uh, let, me, let me stop my sentence there because they're, they're, I have, a, have an image for that. 
their, their spirit is, is tied to their soul. Ecclesiastes 3.21 Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? And you say, well, Mitch, it says upward. It doesn't say downward. It is possible that the spirit of man in the Old Testament went to heaven and the soul went to Abraham's bosom. But I think it's actually a promise about the coming resurrection. The spirit of the man will go up to heaven. I could be wrong about that. So there is a soul-spirit resurrection promised, again, Old Testament saints. For that will not leave my soul in hell, according to the Psalm of David. David cries out and says, you're not going to leave me in hell. Now in this case, he's actually referring to Abraham's bosom, which is within the center of the earth, right? A bodily resurrection will also occur. In Ecclesiastes, or I'm sorry, Ezekiel 37, 12, says, Therefore prophesy unto, and say unto them, right, the, the valley of dry bones, the, the body that comes back together, it's a picture of the nation of Israel, but notice their specific wording. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves. He's not just talking about the nation of Israel anymore. He's talking about, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. There's a promised resurrection of the bodies of Old Testament saints. Okay? And then I put an asterisk here in Matthew because there's this resurrection that apparently applies to some subset of the Old Testament. The first time I heard this, the first time I read these verses, I actually did a double take because I couldn't believe them. Notice what's specifically said in Matthew 27. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Jesus is dying, right? Dying on the cross. And the graves were opened. I think I missed a... Um, I, I think it's supposed to be graves. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept, arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. The power of Jesus' resurrection was so strong, it woke others up too. Okay? So, like, there was this, I guess I'll call it mini resurrection that happened, because it doesn't say oh, the Old Testament, it does say many, but it doesn't sell out. Okay? So, Old Testament, I've, I know I've spent a lot of time, but it's important because a pattern is set up. Old Testament saint dies. His body is put in the ground. He's in Abraham's, well, his soul and arguably spirit are in Abraham's bosom. They are reunited at some point when there's a resurrection, and then they will go up to heaven. Okay? Are we together on that? You didn't have anything to fill out here, but you will have in a moment. All right, so what about New Testament saints? First, we'll have to understand <coughs> that for us, the New Testament saints, there is a circumcision that happens at the point of salvation. Just like the Old Testament circumcision was a picture, a type, every believer has a circumcision that happens. Fortunately, it's not a physical circumcision, and it's a spiritual one. It's a literal cutting away of your dead spirit from your soul and your flesh. We see this in Hebrews 4. 
Notice, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That's not just showing how, how accurate it is. That's giving a function to the, whole, to the word of God. The word of God divides, if you're saved, has divided your spirit from your soul. Literally has cut away the dead spirit that you have that cannot commune with God. Cut that away and ultimately replaced it with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Romans 2, uh, Romans 2.29 But he is a Jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. Again, man is trying to understand, trying to record words that it's a heart circumcision. It's something that happened deep inside of you. It's not an outward thing, right? Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In whom you are also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. <clears throat> this is not an outward circumcision. You don't have to cut yourself after you're saved in any way, shape, or form. It just, it's, it's, like, it's inward, it's a spiritual operation. Buried with him in baptism, wherein you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. So we have a spiritual surgery at the moment of salvation. Okay? That's important to know. Because now, our last dude, all three are together. Dead spirit, soul, and body. He gets, a person gets saved. I'm going to try to move this way. person gets saved. Their dead spirit is cut away and replaced with the Holy Spirit. But they still have their soul and they still have their body together. That's why the word of God cuts between spirit and soul. Okay? So, where does the body go? So these are New Testament saints that died. Your grandma, lovely Christian, wonderful woman who was saved, good woman of God. This is what we're talking about. Okay? So where did, she, where did her body go? Well, it went to the grave. Even if she was uh, cremated and spread out at sea, whatever the case is, she went to the grave, right? <laughs> Which I do have a little bit of a funny story about that because when Michelle's grandmother died and her uh, brother and sister-in-law spread her ashes at sea because that's what she wanted, he threw the ashes right as a gust of wind was coming and blew them kind of back. Not, I mean, but it was just kind of like... Right, so, um, so, but, but notice, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Right, so we will overcome the grave. We will overcome. I'm looking forward to her coming back together. Those molecules still exist somewhere in the, in the ocean or in a fish somewhere or something. Like, I don't know, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how God will bring that back together. It's going to be cool, right? So, so, so in the grave. Right? So where does the soul go? And the best answer I have here, the money, the kind of the money side here is in Christ. Okay? In Christ. And I believe I have a really good biblical support for this. Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, referring to the church age, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Okay? So his desire is to bring the whole church together in him. 
the good and bad situation of that is people who've died, their bodies are still here, even though their souls are in Christ, so they're separated, and arguably their spirit is the Holy Spirit, right? So we have a desire to bring those together. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And then there's also living Christians, so he needs to somehow transport, somehow transform those that we'll, we'll talk about that with respect to the rapture, to bring all together. Second Corinthians 5, eight, we're confident, and I say we're rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. So Paul, in his kind of desire, talking about, look, I'd rather be in heaven, but I need, it's more needful for me to stay here with you and to minister to you. But, but we know being absent from the body, split away, is to be present or arguably in, based on the other verses, the Lord. 2 Corinthians, notice the specific wording here in 2 Corinthians 12, 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such a one caught up to the third heaven. He's referring to himself, but he includes this concept of being in Christ, not just the testimony of his life in Christ. I think there's more to it, but in Christ is how this transport, like, beam me up, Jesus. Like, I don't know how to, like, how to communicate it, but when, when the New Testament saint dies, their soul goes into Christ. It's the same pattern as the Old Testament saint going into Abraham's bosom. It's the exact same picture. Okay? So where does the spirit go? Well, again, I would argue that it's tied to the soul, if you've had the surgery. So which, which, we, we, which the premise is, it's a New Testament saint. So they've had the surgery. The spirit of the man has, was dead. The Holy Spirit is tied to that soul and is both still here and in heaven, like in Christ. Okay? Ephesians 2, notice says 5, 6. We, even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. So it's, he's reiterating right, uh, the, the concepts of, I guess, preemptively, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Sam was talking about this, and that's when he used the, the, the rubber band illustration, that the Spirit has been and is connected with Christ in heaven. But yet we have our spirit and our soul still here, and when the bones, when, when, when life exits my body, my soul is drawn to that spirit, right, in Christ. And it's, a, it's, a, it's the best illustration I can come up with, or can, can communicate. So he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is happening today. You are seated in heavenly places even today. How? Your spirit. That's why we can't wrap our brain around it. That's why we can't close our eyes and see Jesus face to face or see God the Father or see the throne in heaven because it's a spiritual concept. <coughs> Excuse me. But now, notice... But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were some, some, who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Because the blood of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the Word of God, performed that surgery, 
You're now no longer separated. You are connected. You are made nigh. You are made close in heavenly places by the blood of Christ. So similarly, there is a soul or spirit redemption promised. So Ephesians 1.14, the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest, earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So quick question. According to 1 Corinthians 6 below here, for you are bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So he's bought you. He has made that payment and our souls are sealed with his Holy Spirit of promise until the point at which he can until the point at which we're done here. He's done with us on this earth and then boom, we'll be in heaven with him. Okay? So that bodily resurrection will occur at Christ's return. So this, now that I'm basically out of time, I'm going to try to, to bring it into the rapture of the church. So if you don't die, right? If you're, well, so, so let, me, let me do this. So this is your first diagram. This is an unhappy, unsaved guy, not a mustache. He may or may not have a mustache because it may or may not be a, a, a man. He gets saved, and now he's got an upside-down mustache. He's happy. Okay? His spirit is now in Christ, even though he's walking this earth. <coughs> but at the exact same time, his body, soul, and spirit is still here on earth. Can't explain it fully. I hope you can wrap your finite brain around this infinite concept. Okay? But unfortunately, there's going to come a point where he dies. Right here, his, his, his smile, that's now, I should have put X's and a little tongue sticking out. Because in cartoons, I was like, X's, right? So, so he's now dead. His body is going to go into the grave. Right? And he's going to rest in peace because he's saved. The body will, in fact, rest in peace. But his soul will reunite in Christ will reunite with his spirit, with this Holy Spirit, the other half, if you will, of the spirit, the initial gathering will be made, but there's still an earnest paid to redeem the body at some point in the future. So the body, and if this is yellow, it's not, I don't think it's yellow on your page, but it's yellow because this is the rapture, this happens at the rapture of the church, when the dead in Christ will rise first. We'll talk more about that in just a second. At that moment, the soul and spirit come back, and now we have a triune being again. We are all gathered together and are complete. Okay? I know it's a lot. Bear with me. We're almost there. Okay. So, 1 Thessalonians 4. But I will not have you ignorant, have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So now this is talking to alive people that we saw or not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, the quick little sidebar. Some people believe that this bring with him means bring with him from heaven down. I happen to be of the persuasion that he's saying he will bring with him when he goes back up. That he's the, the promise is about the resurrection. So I think he's saying, look, don't fret, 
God's going to bring them with him too when we go up to, up to heaven. It's a little bit of a sidebar. Okay. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord, so we didn't die, shall not prevent them. We're not going to get in the way of those that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the dead in Christ will have this event happen. Their bodies will come out of the grave and will somehow ruin out. I don't know the science on it. I don't understand the details on it. But I know those three will come together again. Just like we talked about last month, there was a separation between Jesus at the time on the cross and then a reuniting with the Father. The triune God will split for a season and came back together. His people are split and will come back together. So the voice of the archangel, uh, the trumpet down, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So it's interesting. He's not really saying that we're going to meet the, we're not going to meet the people for, in heaven in the air. We're going to meet the Lord in the air because somehow he does this really cool thing where he takes their soul and their spirit and pushes their body, pushes them all back together in an immortal, in, incorruptible manner, which we'll see in just a second. He does that, and then all of us get to go together, us being transformed. Wherefore, and, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is something we should take great joy in. We shouldn't be concerned about or fear in any way, shape, or form. Notice in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're just about done. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Wait a minute, but you just said the body was going to come out of the grave. Ah, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So the alive New Testament believer and the dead New Testament believer are all going to be changed. This promise doesn't just apply to us, it applies to them too. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that last trump... For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. I don't know how to describe it other than to say those bodies will come out of the grave. There won't, there won't be zombie day. There won't, there won't be no brain eating. It's not going to be like, you know, with only the front covered because they don't dress the backside of a person in a coffin, right? I mean, not, it's not, it, not going to be like that. It's going to be this wonderful, glorious, and that's why it was yellow on your page. Like, it's going to be this wonderful thing where flesh and blood are transformed. Man, amen. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. I don't exactly know. Well, we still have two arms, ten fingers, if you count your thumbs as fingers, two, feet, two legs, two feet, ten, ten toes. Like, I don't know if we look exactly the same, but what I do know is that what we're buried will be 
be resurrected and it will be changed. So, the diagram here is we're unhappy, we're not saved, we get saved, the spirit goes up, the body, soul, spirit, same, same, right? So we're happy, we're living, and then the rapture happens. We never even die. The body, soul, and spirit, in a changed way, go up and meet the Lord in the air, and then we're yellow. That's why emojis are yellow. Because it's spiritual. They're emojis. So, I know that was a lot. I apologize that it might have come across like a, a lecture rather than a message. But the beauty, no, but, but don't, don't lose me, and I gabbled this out. The conclusion is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. He is going to sanctify every part of you. Your body, your soul, and your spirit. And I pray God, your whole soul, body, and uh, or your spirit, and soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you die or whether you're alive, He is going to preserve your body, your soul, and your spirit until that day. But the key here is you have to be a believer. You have to be born again. Otherwise, you still have that old spirit on you that can't commune with God. The, the word of God has not done that surgery. And if that surgery doesn't, hasn't happened, you're dead in sins. And you don't have, you can get saved today. You can get that dealt with. I will not touch you with any kind of knife, but you need that surgery. You need the, the old man, as it's described in Scripture, to be carved away. If you're relying on good works, it is not going to help you. You have to have the surgery. And the surgery only comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't have to worry. You don't have to count backwards from 100. I don't know if you've ever had surgery, but they had me count backwards from 100. I was like, no, no, no. Like, you know, you don't, you don't have to wear one of those funny hats to make sure that your hair doesn't get in the surgery. You don't have to do any of that. The only thing you have to do to have the redemption applied to your sins is faith. And he makes it so simple so anybody could do it. Even a kid, even a caveman could do it. I don't know. Anybody can do it. Please, I beg you, if you've not had that surgery, if you've not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to cover your sins, please let's talk about that. That is the most important thing you can do today. It's more important than catching the shuttle. It's more important than taking the coffee back over. It's more important than going and having lunch with your family. It's more important than watching the Chiefs news later. It's more important than any of that. It's more important than watching them win later, too. Or tie. It's more important than all of that. All right? Let's pray.